Tonight at, at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue uh, going through the Bible. Um, tonight's message will be on Exodus. You know, and typically, you know, as a, a new believer, I stayed away from the Old Testament. You know, I, I grew up in church, and you remember all those, you know, Bible stories, you know, of Adam and Eve and, and Moses, you know, the Red Sea, you know, the burning bush, you know, and, and yada, yada, yada. Is through the New, your Old Testament, you hear all these different stories. So I, I stayed away from it because I wasn't ready to go there. You know, for me, for a long time, you know, Bible stories and Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy all kind of got rolled up into one package. You know, and once I got old enough to know better, the whole thing got thrown out. Even though I would go to church, I didn't really believe, you know, in the God of the Bible. You know, I, I might have believed, you know, that there was a God when I was younger, but it didn't take long after I got out of high school that, you know, I was an atheist and I didn't believe and, you know, I believed in science, you know, and evolution and, and you know, and various other things. So, you know... <clears throat> As we begin to read the Bible, you know, there's things that we stumble across that might be hard to digest, you know, and I felt like that was one of the reasons that, you know, you know, going through the Bible, you know, if you're a new Christian, I really encourage you to read in the New Testament. I'm probably going to say that a million times over the next, you know, months, but, you know, reading in the Gospel of John, reading you know, one of the other Gospels, reading Romans, it's a great place to start if you haven't really spent any time reading the Bible. But, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each book, finding Jesus. Because the whole thing is about Jesus. You know, there was an old covenant and a new covenant, you know, and, you know, you're going to find Jesus basically on every page. But when you don't know what to look for, it's a lot of boring facts and a lot of boring stuff. And once in a while you'll trip across things that make some sense. But what happened, you know, as I was talking about Genesis and, and Joseph last, last week, that the Pharaoh that Joseph had favor with that put him in high standing in Egypt died. And the new Pharaoh came along. And he didn't necessarily like Joseph. And Joseph and his brothers and that family, which started out, you know, Jacob had 12 sons. You know, so that family of 12 men, and there was a couple of daughters, grew into millions. And the pharaoh of the land was intimidated by their power their unitedness, and that he was really afraid that they would overthrow him so that he put them into slavery. And he began to attack them. He put them in, in basically, you know, turned them into slaves, and they, they were building, you know, the temples and the pyramids and all these different things that, you know, that they would build over there that they were using you know, this Hebrew nation, which is birthed out of Jacob, you know, and, and Joseph. 
and there's this long extended period where they're just in slavery. 400 years pass, you know, of bondage. You know, and this is a, a people group that believed in the one true God, but also had a history of paganism, and now they're living in Egypt, and there's a lot of paganism. You know, they worship the, the gods of Egypt, you know, and it was right there at their fingertips, you know, and they're seeing the oppression of their lives because they believe in Yahweh, and they see the prosperity of Egypt, you know, so there was times that there was intermixture, even though that this is God's people, they're dipping their toe in the other pond. You know, but, you know, there was going to be a deliverer, and there's a, you know, a remnant, you know, there's a, a small group of them that believe that God is going to deliver them from this oppression, deliver them from this slavery. And lo and behold, there's a prophecy that someone's going to come along that's going to overthrow the government. And Pharaoh gets wind of this, and he wants to kill all the young boys. Well, basically, you know, they, they stick Moses in a, a basically a lunch basket, you know, a basket, and it has like tar on it, and they set it in the Euphrates River, and off the float it goes. And as it went down river, one of the Pharaoh's daughters finds this Hebrew baby in the, in the reeds. And she takes him home. Like, I found a lost puppy. And be, she would know that Daddy-O was really pissed off and wanting to kill all these kids, so she kind of kept it hush-hush. You know, and Moses grows up as like one of the kids in the kingdom. You know, and knowing that he didn't really belong in the world or Egypt, but he didn't really belong with the Hebrews or God's community either. He was kind of the redheaded stepchild. But what's funny is that God positioned him in such a way that he got taught everything that the other Pharaoh's kids and, and, and other kids in the kingdom would get taught, and it was the best of educations at that time. Like, Egypt was the, the center of the world. You know, so mathematics and, and you know, all these different things, sciences, astrology, all these different things he would have been taught as a boy, taught to fight, taught to, you know, different things, because he would be raising up, you know, he could never really be the Pharaoh, but, you know, he's going to be, you know, a high-ranking official because he's, He's one of the, the princess's sons. Well, he grows up into his adulthood, and he's walking through the kingdom one day, and he sees, you know, one of his, his brethren, one of his brothers, one of the Hebrews, being whipped by an Egyptian slave master, and he snapped. And he basically took a rock, and he smashed this dude in the head and killed him, and it's like, what did I do? And he buries him, and he's like, hopefully nobody saw me. And he kind of scurries back home. Well, you know, he's God's starting to do something on the inside of him, whether he realized it or not, because that wouldn't have happened, you know, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. Like, 
he was flat, you know, he was content. That's not the first time he walked through the, you know, Egypt. It's not the first time that he saw a slave master, you know, whip one of the, the slaves. But something started stirring on the inside of him that he couldn't take it anymore. You know, there's many times in our lives that we've been going along just like everything's fine. And all of a sudden something shifts in us. And what was fine yesterday isn't fine anymore. And we might not always understand what's going on on the inside of us. But God literally opens our eyes to things. And a lot of times he rips things out of our hands before we're ready for it. Because we'd never be ready for it. You know, who likes to be uncomfortable? Nobody. You know, so here's God saying, get to work. And he starts pushing Moses into this, you know, uncomfortable place in the world, in Egypt. You know, and he starts feeling like this call to go, you know, find out who he really is. So he like goes back in and he starts sneaking through like where the Hebrews would be living and you know, and one of them recognized him. He's like, oh, you're going to kill us too? You know, and it's like all this, you know, anxiety and shame, insecurity is raising up. But eventually he, he figures out who he is and he's like, I'm out. And he runs away. He takes off into the wilderness and he disappears. How many times have we run away? How many times do we run from our responsibilities? How many times do we run from God? How many times do we run from consequences? How many times do we run from responsibilities? Millions. We've all done it. But God has this funny way of catching the runner and sending you back into the very place that you tried to run away from. You know, literally 40 years had passed. Moses moved on with his life. He he married into a family. He had a wife. He had some kids, and he's just minding his own business, shepherding a flock, and all of a sudden, God grabs a hold of him again. You know, and this is where the story of the burning bush comes from. You know, and God started speaking to him through this bush. Now, I personally thought that Moses was tripping on mushrooms, and he's in the wilderness, and he's getting some good visions and having a, a grand old hallucination. I'm not even lying. That's what I thought for many, many years. You know, so even going into reading this story way back when, I'm like, okay, we're going to about to read this, you know, hippie getting tripped out story. You know, but lo and behold, Moses gets shook. And he's like, I can't go back there. They're not going to believe me. And God gives him a word and just tell him, I am sent you. And he didn't want to go, so he kind of like, la, 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 I didn't hear you, God. But all of a sudden, this thing on the inside of him gets so restless that he knows he can't sit still anymore. And he leaves his family, and he goes back to, to Egypt. And he finds, you know, his family, you know, and, and his mom's still alive, and he's got some brothers and sisters, and they're not really big fond of him. You know, but he's like, here I am. I'm supposed to confront the Pharaoh. And they're like, who are you? Who do you think you are? And he's like, I'm really nobody, but I am. And everyone's like, whoa. Because you're not supposed to say that stuff. Like back then, they couldn't really utter the name of God, which was Yahweh. You know, and that's why technically they've lost what it really was, you know, how it sounded. Some say it's more like Yahoo, 
but they don't really know. You know, they would take the letters out of it, so it would, you know, they would only pronounce the, the you know, certain letters of it, so it would be okay to say it, because they didn't want to take the Lord's name in vain, which that was coming, but they hadn't been there, but they were still pretty scared of God, you know, in a sense. And Moses didn't want to do this. Moses looked at his own abilities and realized that I, I can't, I can't do it. You know, technically, when you look into this, you know, into the text that Moses had a stuttering problem. So he's not the likely choice of someone that's going to address the nation. And, but God knew what he was doing, because he always does, even though we disagree with him on a regular basis. And I can't do that, God. And he's like, oh, yes, you can. So he finds out that there's this guy, his name's Aaron. He's like, this is my brother. Can I take him with him? And he's like, sure, why not? This will be fun. And Aaron goes off with him reluctantly because he's freaked out. Like, they're going to go before the Pharaoh and tell him to do something. And, and literally, if you did that, you'd be killed. At the very least, you'd be thrown in prison. But Moses, being one of the Pharaoh's, you know, the king's kids, in a sense, you know, the long-lost, you know, Hebrew kid that became a, a Pharaoh's kid is back in the kingdom. So they would know who he is. And sometimes our reputations, you know, get used in ways that we didn't think they were going to get used. And he sends us back into places that we didn't think that we were going to get sent. But you also have to realize that this is an extended amount of time between the time that he ran away and the time that God started moving and the time that he went back into that place. You know, I see a lot of times that we're ready to go help our families or help our friends, and there's not enough time between the time that we got some Jesus in our life and the time that we're trying to go tell people the truth, and we get taken out by the Pharaoh, which would be the enemy, because we, we fall back into the temptations of the world. But here Moses is standing in front of the Pharaoh, and he's like, let my people go. And he's like, what? Who are you? You know, oh, I remember who you are. And he's like, get out of here. And, you know, it didn't work the first time. So Moses goes back, and he's like, now what, God? And he's like, go back and do it again. And he's like, it didn't work. And Moses is trying to remind God of who he is and what his, you know, his inabilities are and the fact that, you know, it didn't work the first time, God. So why are you trying to make me do it again, God? You know, and we do this all the time. God tells us to do stuff, but we do it our way, not his way. And then we, we tell him why it isn't going to work or why it isn't working. But we didn't really do it his way. We did it our way, but kind of his way. And it's going to fail because it's not Yahweh. You know, so he goes back again and he tells the Pharaoh, let my people go. And he's like, why should I listen to you? And he's like, well, I have the God you know, I am with me, and he's like, what does that even mean? You know, and this starts the process. God's playing chess, and God doesn't lose. You know, and here's a series of plagues that happen, you know, and literally you could go into each one, and, and it's like, you know, mind-blowing when you kind of study this stuff out. See, Egypt had ten gods, that they were the big gods. And literally each plague represented one of those gods and how God defeated their God by saying, here's a plague to say that your God is less than me. 
And he, lo and behold, systematically takes out every single one of their gods to say, I am. You know, and we have idols in our lives. You know, maybe it's drugs and alcohol and sex and gambling and food and, you know, and lying and stealing and TV and and God, lo and behold, comes in and starts chopping those things out of our lives because he shows us that those gods that we've had, that we've served, that we look to for comfort, that we look to for, you know, guidance, we look to escape. He shows us that drugs and doesn't work. Alcohol doesn't work. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. You know, we chase money. That doesn't work. You know, and, and Jesus comes in to show us that he is really the only way that works. But then, you know, we're getting to the last plague. And this is like the big doozy because he's going to take out the firstborn kids, which is exactly what Pharaoh was doing. So he's basically saying, you know, look what you try to do, but look what I'm going to do. You know, and this is where Passover comes from. They they put blood on the doorpost and the angel of death is going to pass over their houses. So all the Hebrews put lamb's blood on the door, you know, as a representation of Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of Passover. It's a foreshadow of the, the, the lamb that was slain, the foreshadowing of the blood being shed for sin, and the foreshadow of saving us from death. There's all these little things that are mixed in the story that tell of the story of Jesus and his coming and exactly how he's going to come. So Pharaoh loses his firstborn son. He's completely distraught. Moses says, let my people go. And he's like, get out of here. And Moses is like, you know, we're going to take some gold and we're going to take some sheep and we're going to take this and that and this and that with us, okay? And he's like, just get out of here. So literally, the Hebrew nation like takes all the wealth out of Egypt as they leave Egypt. And after a moment, Pharaoh kind of snaps out of his you know, grief of losing his son, and the anger kicks in, and he's like, go get him. And he sends all of the you know, Egyptian army, they have chariots, and they're chasing after them. Well, the Hebrews are just walking on foot. You know, it's like a bunch of men, a bunch of ladies, a bunch of kids, a bunch of sheep, a bunch of this, a bunch of that. And there's like millions of them just kind of strolling out of Egypt. You know, and they get a couple of days ahead and they could see that the army's coming. So now they blame Moses. They're like, what did you do? We're about to die. You know, and they get to the edge of the, you know, the Red Sea. And there's literally nowhere to go. And Moses raises his staff, and what we've come to realize is the wind started blowing across the Red Sea the moment he lifted his, his staff. And even though we, we pray sometimes, and even though we turn to God in moments, and we don't see the immediate change, something's on the move in our lives. You know, and everyone's freaking out around them. You know, why did you do this? We're about to die. You know, we should have never left. We should have never changed. We should have never tried to get sober. We should have never went to church. Everything's getting crazy now. You know, because Jesus sets us free from the grip of the enemy. That doesn't mean the enemy gives up on us. And so often we think that the second we accept Jesus, that everything's going to get great. 
And a lot of times when you accept Jesus, the first months or years are absolute crazy chaos. Because all of those gods that we've been serving get ripped out of our lives. The enemy's pissed off because we changed teams. We're like a free agent. We're like Team Jesus now. And the other team's like, you know, we want to we wanna get them. You know, and there's all these decisions that we need to make that help us to walk out of the world and walk away from serving the enemy. And we don't realize that Jesus is on the move. Sometimes we just have to sit still. And even though there's obstacles in front of us that don't look like they're going to move, when we trust that we've heard from the Lord that everything around us and everything behind us can be crashing down, and even the people that are our closest, family members, friends, can be like, you've made a mistake. This isn't what we should be doing. You should turn around. You should go back to what you were doing. You know, I left the, t- you know, the tattoo shop after a few months of, of being saved and sober. And everyone around me, once I left, like, you should go back. Go get your job. You're not going to have any money. And I'm like, no, it's time for me to go. You know, and I had family members telling me that I should go get my job. I had family members that told me I should do this and told me I should do that. I had friends that said, you know, that I was crazy. But I knew that I couldn't live the way that I was living anymore, and I needed to figure out this Jesus thing. So Moses is standing there in front of the Red Sea, and all of a sudden it opens up. And they begin to to go across the, the seabed, and the seabed is dry. And it gives them the ability to, to walk across, and the Egyptian army has come crashing down on them, and they basically get to the other side, and God kind of closes the sea, and the complete Egyptian army gets destroyed. You know, and they begin to walk out the other side, you know, and, and now they've completely escaped Egypt. It's, you know, you know, the enemy's forces are completely destroyed, but now they're in the wilderness. They don't have any food, you know, they don't really have any water, and they're kind of wandering. And now they're blaming Moses, oh, what did you do to us? We don't have water, we don't have this. And God begins to show up in supernatural ways and taking care of them when everyone's saying that it's not going to work. You know, and Moses didn't really know where he was going, so they, God kind of sent this, this cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they're just wandering, following this cloud around. You know, sometimes when we're following God, it doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. It's like I'm trying to do this Jesus thing, and I don't feel like I'm, I know what I'm doing. And they're really like, we get over here, and it like doesn't make any sense. And God's like, we'll go over here, and it doesn't make any sense. And then we go over there, and it doesn't make any sense. But it's like, no, I believe that I'm following the Lord. You know, following Jesus isn't like a straight line. I, I hate to break it to you. You know, you're going to be all over the place. And the more you're following Jesus, the more you're pinballing around. You know, and a lot of times you feel like you're getting right to where you're supposed to be. And he's like, nope, we're going right now. And we're like, but that's where I'm supposed to be. And he's like, yeah, maybe. But that's what you said. I know, but we need to do this first. And he starts working on areas in our character because, you know, these there's areas in us that have to be destroyed because we used to handle them the other way. You know, and they complained a lot, and God dealt with their complaining, and, and eventually, you know, they 
they didn't have this and God took care of that and they didn't have that and God took care of that. And, you know, as we continue to pray and continue to trust God and continue to follow him, even when it seems crazy around us, he always seems to show up and bring provision. You know, and they they wander through the wilderness for, you know, 40 years, you know, and but God's taking care of them. You know, and even after they got out of Egypt and even after they they got through the Red Sea and the, the enemy of the army is destroyed, they still had a few battles. They would run into certain things and they'd, you know, have to to go to war again. You know, and this is a symbol of our lives is that we have to learn to pray. We have to learn to trust God. We have to learn that when we've made a godly decision that we stick to it. You know, and there's going to be a lot of times that we, like, I should have went back. I shouldn't have left. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't have left that relationship. I shouldn't have left that job because it doesn't feel the way I thought it was going to feel. And these are the moments where all that energy and all that time and all that, you know, space that was taken up in our heart begins to get filled by God. And we begin to see how his love for us begins to show up in all these different ways. You know, and they get to the Jordan River, you know, and they have this, you know, this understanding that they're to head into the promised land. You know, and their doubt kept them from going where God wanted to take them because he still had to break off some things. You know, and God provided for them the whole time that they were with nothing. You know, and this is the story that wrecked me. Because I didn't go into the Old Testament for probably around six months after I got saved. I, I bounced around in the New Testament. You know, I started in John, and I basically just jumped around in the New Testament reading stuff and stayed away from Revelations because that's another one of those wackadoodle books that I'm not ready for. You know, and I just kind of tried to learn about Jesus. You know, but, you know, God told me to leave the tattoo shop and go become this, you know, student at this Christian school. And I was like, that's insane. I'm not doing that. And every time I would pray for God to show me what's in the way between me and him, he would say, it's time to leave the tattoo shop. And I'd be like, well, no, I'm called to these people. You know, you can use me here. You know, and I was fighting God, even though he's showing me over and over again it was time to go. And I was reading through the Purpose Driven Life one day, and, you know, there's little questions at the end of each chapter. And the question at the end of the chapter that I read is, what can you do right now to take temptation out of your life? And I was reading it in the tattoo shop, and it was like literally I just like looked up. And I'm like, he's got cocaine in his pocket. They're going to go out drinking. That chick keeps hitting on me. Like, it's just like, it was like a bong going off inside of my head. It was like, it's time to leave. But still, that wasn't enough. Like, I had to get disrespected by a friend one more time to show me that drugs were more important than me one more time. And I remember waking up that morning like, all right, I hear you. 
But I'd been hearing him for weeks. I just did not want to acknowledge the fact that I had to do something I didn't want to do and be obedient to this little scary voice that I'm starting to hear. You know, and God leads us through all sorts of different things. And a lot of times he's going to ask us to do things or leave things or, or stay away from certain people or get around new people. And it's really scary, you know, because, you know, we rely on our old instincts. You know, if I can't do it myself, then I don't want to do it. But that kind of cancels out God, you know, and it cancels out building new friendships, you know, friendships that aren't using me or friendships that aren't using, period. You know, to get around, you know, godly guys and get around godly girls so that the temptations aren't as as great. It's not that we're perfect. It's just that we're trying to, to go in the right direction. You know, and, you know, Jesus takes us through these crazy trips sometimes. And I remember sitting on the curb in front of my house and I called you know, one of the my newest Christian friends. And I said, it, it's time for me to leave the tattoo shop. And they were like, whoa, what, really? You know, and, it, and I know that they were praying for that. Uh, just You can act all surprised all you want. Like, but I went to the shop and I took all my stuff and I told my bosses, like, I can't be here anymore. And they're upset at me and I'm breaking some of my closest friendships. So I'm breaking away from them. One of them kind of understood. The other one, you know, basically threw, you know, all these insults at me and still to this day is not a real happy camper with me. And and it is what it is. You know, there's times that certain relationships are going to get broken off no matter how close you think you are. When Jesus starts moving in your life, you know, sometimes we got to get out of Egypt and that means we got to leave some people behind. But why I, I say that this was the story that, that shook me it's because this pattern of Pharaoh being the devil and Egypt being the world and the plagues being my addictions and my sins and God moving in this way to, to bring this exodus out of the world and wandering through the wilderness, but all these things seem like they're chasing me down. And he takes me to the Red Sea and he crosses me, which is a symbol of baptism where the enemy and the old gets broken off and the new is there, but you're still kind of wandering in the wilderness, learning how to follow God. And you still have some battles to face. But you still have to let go of the world and stop complaining and realize that God has got everything for you. And he constantly shows us how he provides for us and he takes us here and he takes us there. Which is crazy to me too is that this trip that took them 40 years, you can literally walk it in 11 days. But God knew that if he gave us the shortcut, that we would have returned back to Egypt. And he's teaching us how to break free from the world when we go through difficult times. And sometimes when we have lack and sometimes when things get stripped from us because we have nowhere else to turn but to him. And a lot of times we don't like that option. Even though we say we believe in God, when we get stripped of things, we're not real happy with God. And we complain about God and the way he's doing things. And don't you know how this is affecting me, God? And God's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure how it's affecting you negatively. 
let's watch how this affects you positively. And he breaks things off of our lives so that we solely press into him to learn that he is our provider. He is our protector. He is our security. He's the intimacy that we truly desire. And one day we'll cross into the promised land, which is heaven. And this symbol is the exact same symbol of what Christ does in our lives. That Christ defeats the Pharaoh. That he overcomes death. That he delivers us out of the world and we get baptized because he symbolized it. But it was the really the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ is the symbol of baptism. And then we learn to follow him and we learn to, to follow the fire of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And we learn to walk with him in difficult times and we want to complain, but we realize that complaining doesn't get us anywhere, so we praise him in the middle of it. And then lo and behold, we get to that finish line someday and we'll cross into the promised land. You know, life is a journey and following Christ doesn't always feel good. But what I've learned is he is always there with me and he is always there with you. And the more we get our eyes off on the way it used to be, and the way I used to handle it, and the temptations and my coping mechanisms that I used to use, and get my eyes on Christ, that that trip that took them 40 years can be 12 days, 13 days, 10 years. It's really up to me. You know, drugs and alcohol got broken out of my life pretty quickly. You know, lust took a little bit more work, but that got broken out of my life too. But I've been walking around my mountain of food addiction for too many years. And I get a little bit of breakthrough and I go back. And I get a little bit of breakthrough and I go back. You know, and I have to lay this thing down and trust Jesus. You know, because I've learned in the past year, I didn't quite always understand why I kept returning back to my food God. You know, that looks very Chinese. In Spanish, it's a mixture. But he always wants to give me rice. That when I get anxious, when I have a lot of anxiety, I eat. When I have a lot of stress, I eat. And like, I mean, I've been battling this for years and I never really got that revelation because I never got far enough down the path and asking Jesus to set me free of it. I always just kind of was doing it my way. Like, I gotta go to the gym and I gotta eat healthy. But I was never adding the Jesus component to the, the whole, like, yeah, I should pray, but Jesus, you know, help me not eat this food. Like, it seems ridiculous sometimes that I have to say that over and over and over again. But literally, sometimes we have to pray certain prayers over and over and over again, and we're not a hypocrite for praying it because I don't have the strength in my own ability to leave certain sins alone. And then I have to rely on Christ to get me out of those things and, and, and the uncomfortable period that happens when I let go of something and trying to grab a hold of him, there is a difficult season or three in the midst of it as we learn to rely on him instead of the things that we used to rely on. And a lot of that's relationships. You know, we struggle with codependency and sexual relationships and we struggle with money issues and we struggle with family issues. A lot of that is, it can take years to figure it out and, and to develop healthy boundaries and to develop who we are in Christ so that we don't let people take advantage of us. You know, and that it takes years sometimes that we don't put money in front of God. And I, 
our success and our pocketbook in front of God because that we, we sacrifice, you know, our relationship or our time with God or the times that we spend with God or the places that we go so we can worship God so I can get some dollars in my pocket. And oh, I gotta get this job. And all of a sudden the things that I've been doing to help me to grow all of a sudden get wiped out of my, and I'm back serving a different God again. And it's not that I don't believe in Jesus and it's not that I don't believe in God and it doesn't mean that I'm doing it purposely, but all of a sudden this other God became the priority in my life. It's the one that I'm turning to when, when times go difficult. It's the one that I'm to, turning to that makes me feel better. And what Jesus has shown us is none of those things will ever work. None of those things. Whatever we left behind and we may gravitate back to and we think we're doing it different, doesn't ever work. You know, and it doesn't mean that you can't have a good job and make good money, but we need to put God first. It doesn't mean that you can't eat Chinese food. You just need to do it a little bit less than I do it. <clears throat> you know, it doesn't mean that you can't like entertainment, but you have to put it in its proper priority. It doesn't mean that you can't have relationships, but you have to put it in God's perspective. You know, and and realize that God has a time for certain things and a season for certain things. And, you know, it's so important to develop our relationship with Christ prior to trying to venture down some of these roads because sometimes when we try to open up certain doors too soon, we end up back in places that we thought we were never going to visit again. You know, so, you know, it's so important that we get plugged in. You know, people ask me a lot of times, you know, they're they're really struggling. They're like, what's the key? Consistency. It's being in the same place that I said that I was going to be day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. It's doing the right thing over and over and over and over and over again, even when it doesn't feel like anything's getting better. Because I promise you, you take a few trips down the, the path of the wilderness, following God to the best of your ability, one day you're going to look back and you're going to realize that Egypt is way behind you. And it may feel like it's right there sometime, like that army's crashing down and it feels like it's coming to get you. But we really have nothing to fear because Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross. You know, and it's when we plug into Jesus, no matter what we're going through, he gives us the guidance and the strength. And when we plug into the people of Christ, the body of Christ, that he gives us the friends and the companionship and the, and the brethren and the, and the brothers and the sisterhood that we need when we used to turn back to our old friends. What I've learned, too, is if I do not invest in my new life, and I try to do this my own way and by myself, no matter what your intentions are at some point, you'll end up back in a place that you said you were never going to be again because you don't know how to do it alone. And difficult things happen because that's life. And we're going to go through hard times, that's life. You're going to go through loss, that's life. And not having people around us in those moments makes it really hard to hang on to just Jesus. And I've watched a lot of people through the years that are just Jesus folks. You know, all I need is Jesus. I don't need anybody teaching me. I got my word and I got Jesus and I don't know where any of them are. But the people that are coming to group on a regular basis, the people that are coming to church on a regular basis, the people that end up at my house on a regular basis, the people that hang out with me and talk to me on a regular basis, I can tell you where all of them are. You know, and it doesn't mean that we're all seeing each other every day. But 
through the years, there's people scattered all over this country that have walked through these doors at one point or another and learned how to follow Jesus. So if you're new to this, I really encourage you to make this a place that you come on a Friday night. You know, and I really encourage you to get plugged into a local church. You can come to Redeemer, but you can go to other churches. You know, it's not about necessarily one church because it isn't one church, even though we are all one church. You got to be getting plugged in somewhere and you should be serving somewhere and you should be developing a pastor, a relationship with a pastor somewhere. Those are very important components for us to be guided out of the wilderness and guided out of Egypt and that, that we can sustain this for a long term. So I just really encourage you, you know, to get plugged in, to grow with Christ, spend time in your word. You know, if you're new to this and you haven't really spent a lot of time in the word, I really encourage you to read in the New Testament. Learn about Jesus because that's what this is all about. But I promise you that he's in every book, you know, and you might need someone to help you to see it. And that's why it's important to get in relationships with pastors and, and spiritual brothers and sisters that have been doing this just a little bit longer it's very important that, you know, if you have drug and alcohol issues, it's important that you have people around you that understand drug and alcohol issues. You know, and even better yet, you can have somebody that understands drug and alcohol issues and someone that's a Christian, you know, you get, you know, the best of both worlds. You know, and for me, it didn't exist when I first got here. You know, I went to church and I had a relationship with my pastor and I went to AA and I had a sponsor. You know, and the crazy thing is people would say that you're not supposed to do this. My sponsor was an atheist. And my relationship with my pastor helped me to grow with Jesus. And my relationship with my atheist sponsor helped me to grow in my recovery. And you say you can't do that. Well, I did it. Why? Because I could compartmentalize the two. I knew that I didn't have somebody in both worlds that could teach me enough. And I needed the best of both worlds. So I chose people that I related with, that I saw something in them that I wanted. And I began to listen to what they said and take their suggestions. And I found my way out of Egypt with with the help of Christ and the help of AA. You know, and a lot of people, I just had this wonderful conversation with a super religious Christian telling me that AA was a cult. And I said, well, you don't really read your Bible. Oh, rah, 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 rah. And then he wanted to come live with me. I'm like, that's just not going to work. <laughs> Like, you're too holy for me. I don't know what to do with you. You're going to get real pissed off at me real quick, I promise. But, you know, and religious people are part of the navigation through the wilderness. Whether we like it or not, they're out there. And they're a lot of fun. You should hang out with them every day. Or not. But, finding someone that's pursuing Jesus, and you can tag on to that person and lock arms with them and learn how to follow Jesus together, I really encourage it and that you'll be blessed by it. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you how you have foreshadowed your coming all throughout your Old Testament, all throughout your Word. There is pockets of revelation of who you are and what you were going to do. There's so many prophecies that you fulfilled that make the Word of God this supernatural book that is just mind-blowing when you really spend time studying it, spend time learning it. So, Lord, I pray that each one of us would have this crazy desire to learn your word. Lord, help us to get past the fact that it's a big book. Help us to get past the fact that some of these things don't make sense. Lord, because we've spent time figuring out other things that didn't make sense, and we've chased them for years. So, Lord, help us to spend time 
figuring you out and figuring your word out, Lord. I pray that you would begin to speak to us in the situations that we're in and guiding us out of wherever we might be. Help us to pursue you. Help us to chase after you. Help us to put you at the forefront of our lives and to never let go, Lord. And help us to build new relationships with people that are around us. As scary as it might be, Lord, help us to build new friendships and new relationships. In Jesus' name I pray. Many, many, many.